Okay. All right. Open your Bible this morning to the book of James. Now, we've been talking for some time. I know we took off last week because we had to do the Easter thing, you know. Uh, I heard this. I heard this Easter bunny joke. Didn't y'all hear that Easter bunny joke? Oh, oh come on, y'all need to laugh about something, okay? Fellow driving down the road, and here comes this big old rabbit with a sack on his back, and he hit that thing and killed it graveyard dead. Eggs went everywhere. I mean everywhere. And he got out and he saw what had gone on. Oh, no, I killed the Easter Bunny. I killed the Easter Bunny. Oh, what am I going to do? All the kids, they're not going to have eggs and all. Oh, no, no. Well, while he was carrying on, this woman drove up and got out and said, what's wrong? He said, I killed the Easter Bunny. He said, wait a minute, I'll take care of it. So she went back to her car and come back. And he was holding that Easter Bunny. And she sprayed, had this can of spray. She sprayed that thing and sprayed it. And he laid it down on the ground. And here in a couple of minutes, he went, got up and hopped off a little ways. And he turned around and waved. And he hopped a little bit further, and he turned around and waved. Hopped a little bit further, and he turned around and waved. And he said, boy, what did you spray on that rabbit? And she said, I sprayed hair, hairspray. Said it's the kind that revives dead hair and leaves them with a continuous wave. <laughs> well, some of you anyway, okay? <laughs> James chapter 1. Verse 26, we've been talking about what I meant to say before I got into foolishness. We've been talking about for some time now the heart and mouth connection. And it seemed like that's varied over and begin to dwell on the tongue. Now, I know, I know this message this morning, I know there's a lot of folks that's not here today. And this message is not meant for them. Okay? It's meant for us. God knows who's going to be here, and He knows what we all need, right? So those folks that's not here today, this message is not for them until you take it to them and then let them get a hold of it, okay? Encourage them to go to our website and listen to it on, on, the, on, our, on the website, on a podcast. But folks, what, I, what I've got to talk about today is a very difficult subject because I've got to talk to you with what I've got to talk about. It's my mouth. James chapter 1, verse 26 says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, that man's religion is vain. Now, the word religion here is not talking about form and formality, like we usually think about, well, I'm not, bless God, I'm not religious, I'm not traditional. That's not what it's talking about here. The actual Greek word here is talking about our service, our service for God. And it says that if anybody thinks that they're really involved in religious service and they don't bridle their tongue, their service is in vain. Now, folks, we all know this. That we can do all kind of good in all kind of ways for all kind of people in all kind of places and then mess all of that stuff up with just a few words after a while, can't we? So, last week, we read in James chapter 3, or two weeks ago, we read in James chapter 3 about how that the tongue is an unruly evil. The tongue. That's part of your mouth, okay? The tongue is an unruly evil and that nobody can tame the tongue. 
So we brought forth this thought that the tongue is humanly untamable. I read this, this article about a guy up in the, in the Bronx that had a, a, his cat beat him. And so the police had to come, and when they come to euthanize this Siberian tiger that he had raised in his apartment, they had trouble getting to it because he also had a six-foot alligator in the same apartment. Now, I don't know if you know it or not, but, but if you're going to tame something, Siberian tigers and alligators are not the things you need to do. And there's some things that you But when it comes to the tongue, no amount of effort, humanly speaking, can tame that thing. But even though it's not humanly tameable, it is divinely tameable. Through God, and God Himself can tame our tongue. Let me show you something. In Exodus chapter 4, when God had called Moses out on the mountain, Moses standing here at the burning bush, his shoes off. And I appreciated that, that part of that testimony, Coach. More than anything else, you pull your shoes off and, and, uh, and give them to somebody. And that, just, that means, let me tell you, I'm going to run a rabbit if I do that. I'll tell you later, Coach. <laughs> but, but anyhow, uh, Moses is standing here, and God told him, said, I want you to go to Egypt and tell, my, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Well, he uses excuses. He never has a good reason, but he uses excuses. You know there's a difference in those, don't you? There's reasons for things, but folks, we come up with excuses, and our excuses are not worth anything. So he came up with these excuses and said, who am I going to take authority? And God said, take my authority. And I can't get them to listen to me. God said, well, throw your rod down. He did, and it became a serpent. He said, now pick it up. And he picked it up, and it became a rod again. Well, that still didn't convince him. And so God said, put your, put your hand in, in your side and bring it out. And when he did, it was, it was leprous. It was withered. He said, put it back and brought it out, and it was whole. So finally he says, unto the Lord, this is Moses now, he said, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the deaf, dumb or deaf, or the seeing or the blind? So here, here's what's going on. He said, Have not I the Lord? <laughs> I about forgot all my scripture. Now therefore go and I will be with, here's what I want you to get. I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. So Moses is standing here and him saying, God, uh, I've got this problem with my mouth. I, it wasn't good before I met you here just now at this burning bush, and it still hadn't got any better. Any of y'all can identify with that? I mean, you know, before we got saved, we had mouth problems. And after we got saved, it seemed like a lot of those mouth problems continued, and because we didn't know what to do with it, it from that point it got worse again. Right? I'm not talking about cursing. I'm not talking about using vulgar language. I'm just talking about the things we say, how we say it, when we say it. And we get in trouble with our mouth a lot of times. He said said in James chapter 1, let me remind you again, that whenever whenever you say that you're doing a whole bunch of stuff and it looks like you're doing a whole bunch of stuff, but if your mouth is not doing what it's supposed to along with it, I've heard folks say, well, I'll just let my works show what I believe. Well, that's good. Your mouth's going to have to say something after a while. It's going to talk. It's going to come out. 
So God said, listen, Moses, I made that thing you call a mouth. I fixed your tongue right where I wanted it, put it right between your teeth, give you those pearly whites. He said, don't you think I can teach you what to say? Now, that's where we want to come to. I want God to teach me what to say. Now, he said, just like the tongue is humanly untamable, let me, let me exp- express it to you this way. If I were to say to you that saving the soul is humanly impossible, would you understand what I'm talking about? Because it is humanly impossible for someone to save their self. You can't even save anyone else. You can't save yourself. So saving yourself is humanly impossible. That's all the work of God. But there's a part that you and I have to play in this thing. There's a responsibility that you and I have to take. If I want the provision that Pat talked about applied to my life, then there's the responsibility on my part to reach out and accept that through faith. It don't just fall into me one day when I get up. God says, yeah, I think today I'll save old David Carroll down there. Just boom, and that's it. So, so God can tame my tongue. But I've got to bridle it. God has... God And I'll get back on this in a minute. God gave me a new heart when He saved me. When Jesus came into my life, He gave me a new heart. And from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I'll get back on this heart thing here in a minute. But I want to to come on with this right now. I want to bridle my tongue so that the things that I say don't work against what I believe and what I do. Now, there's, there's... some words I want to use here to help you remember this. If you want to bridle your tongue, the first thing you need to learn to do in any situation, regardless of how good or bad it is, is to pause. Think about that. Pause. Pause. Back up in James chapter 1 and verse 19, or, or verse uh, James 1, 19. I, I, didn't, I didn't write this one down for you both, so just so good, don't turn to it. It says, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. Can I tell you something? If you have a problem of getting mad real quick, it's because you're talking quick. You're swift to talk and slow to hear. Well, that's just my nature. I just can't help it. No, no, no. No, listen. If you're a Christian, it's not your nature just to fly off the handle mad about something that quick. That's not your nature. If it is, then something has subverted your nature to where your, your nature that Jesus put in you is not functioning like it should. Either that or you're not learning to bridle your tongue. See, we need, to, we need to, to learn this thing of pausing, of stopping and thinking about it. My wife's sitting over here smiling at me, and I know why. I'm here over saying, yes, Lord, speak to him, Jesus. Speak to him, Jesus. (laughs) Y'all heard me say this before, but in the first few years of our marriage, I was determined I wasn't going to be henpecked, and, buddy, I rode this thing out full. But she developed some henhouse ways in me (laughs) by... Praying this prayer, Holy Ghost, would you tell David this? Holy Ghost, would you tell David that? 
And boy, I'm telling you, when, what chance does a man have? I thank God for it. I do. I tell you, she, she prayed for me and, and she spoke over me and into me. And, and you know, it said that you'll know a tree by the fruit it bears. And I'll have to tell you all this this morning. Mm. You eating for the fruit that this woman planned to seed for. And her prayers and her confession. She still, still confesses over me. Thank God for that. Now, pause. I read, read this article. This fellow said he was having trouble with his mouth. And he prayed, said, God, i got to have some help with this thing. And God said, well, said, what I want you to do is learn wait. Wait. See, he said that he'd get, he'd get the least little thing. He'd just blow up at his wife, blow up at his children. Blow up at other people around him, and little he had to win every argument that was going on. See, I told y'all, look at somebody and say he's preaching to you, <laughs> and not. <laughs> I'm not receiving it. No, I'm just. I love the picket, Dennis. He's a good one, buddy. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Got that cross arm stance there. <laughs> I love this man. He is a wonderful man. I thank God for him. I thank God he'll let me pick at him that way. But he said that God said, you need to apply weight. And he said, well, God, is that all? Is there anything else? And said, God said, think about it, W-A-I-T. He said, in every situation, ask yourself, why am I talking? See, if you pause long enough, you can ask yourself those kind of questions. But most of us are going at it from the context of, don't you hear what I'm saying? Former President Calvin Coolidge had the nickname of Silent Cow. Now, I don't remember that. That was a little bit before my time. But the reason he had that name was because he was a man of few words. And, and they made a lot out of it. They, I read of where he attended a church service one Sunday morning, and this reporter said, said President Coolidge said, how did you enjoy the church service? And he said, it's fine. He said, well, what did the preacher preach about? Sin. Well, what did he say about it? He's against it. <laughs> that was it. They said another time he was at a, at a White House dinner, and he was sitting here, and this lady that was just loud and boisterous and talking, you know, anyhow, she, after a while, she turned to him and she said, said, President Cooley said, my husband bet that I couldn't get you to say three words tonight. They said they sat there for a few minutes and they finally looked at her and said, you lose. <laughs> and you say, well, you know, that's funny and that's extreme, but wait a minute. The Bible teaches us some of the same things. Look in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23 said, Whosoever keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Wow. Whoever keeps his mouth guards. Keeps himself from trouble. Proverbs ten nineteen. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. A wise person don't say a lot. 
And when they do what they say, it's worth listening to. It's worth being said. Many words that says, you know, you know what happens after a while when you say talk a lot? You remember Proverbs 18.21? Anybody remember Proverbs 18.21? You remember what it says? Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit of it. You talk a lot, you're going to be talking death after a while. You will, you'll, be, you'll begin to talk death about the president. You'll talk negative. See, talking death is talking negative about something. You'll be talking, you'll be talking negative about the president, about the governor, about the legislature, about the coach, about the pastor. Now, y'all don't look at me so strange like I'm the only one in here that's ever had a problem with this, okay? I told you this. That's where we've got to make it a little funny so y'all won't get so mad at me. My responsibility is to bridle my tongue. Proverbs 17, verse 27 and 28. He that hath knowledge spareth his words. You can tell a wise person because they don't talk a whole lot. And a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. But listen to this next one. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Now, now get a hold of this. A person of knowledge, a person of understanding, is of an excellent spirit, and it's shown in the words that they speak, how they guard their self, how their tongue is bridled, and, and how they pause to choose right things. But then, but even a fool. Mark Twain said, It's better for people to think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. And that's what happens so many times when people just yakety, 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 run on. Proverbs 18, 13. So he that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Now, you know what, what I thought of when I, when I come across that Scripture in my study? is how that we get involved in a conversation and we try to finish the other person's sentence. Y'all didn't laugh much on that, did you? Have you, ever, have you ever seen a situation where that a wife will start telling something and the husband jump in and try to finish it for her? Or vice versa, husband starts telling... And here's one that gets me. It's when a parent starts telling something and a child thinks they can finish it and tell it better. Right? It's folly and shame unto him. And we need, to, we need to learn better than that. You see, and actually what the Bible is saying here is it, we need to learn to shut up. To shut up. You, you're talking to somebody or somebody's talking to you and while they're talking, you're sitting here figuring out in your mind how this is going to end what you're going to say back. Somebody said, boy, I've got this great idea. And they start trying, oh, yeah, man, I've got that same thing. I, this must be God. Both of us have. No, you need to shut up and listen to what their idea is because chances are their idea is different than yours anyway. I don't like nobody telling me to shut up. Uh, King James just did. <laughs> Through the Holy Spirit said, we need to learn to listen. See, if we'll pause and listen to everything going on, we won't jump to conclusions and say something we shouldn't say. 
right? Then, then another thing that we need to do if we're going to bridle our tongue is we need to ponder what we're going to say. Think about what we're going to say. Think about it. I, I, I believe there's three kinds of people. I, I believe everybody can put, be put in one of these three classes of people. And I know there's different classes, different ways you can classify people. But number one is there's those people that think and then talk. Then there's people that think while they're talking. And then there's people that think after they talk. Run off. And then there may be four. Then there's people that don't even think. They just run off at the mouth. They don't even think. Folks, I'm, I, I'm one of those people that think, think on my feet a lot of times, and I have to really work on this because I think a lot of times while I'm talking, and it's different than preaching, okay? But a lot of times while I'm talking in a situation, I'm thinking, and, and I want to become the person that thinks before I talk. I want to be that person. I definitely want to quit being the person that thinks after I talk. Have you all ever done that? Say something, and then you go off over there and say, man, why did I say that? I shouldn't have said that that way. That was the wrong thing to say. You know, the wrong time. And, I, man, I shouldn't have said that. didn't have my facts right. So I want to think, I want to learn to think before I speak. And, and if we'll do that, then, then how much better off it would be. Uh, see, many times we say the wrong things about a situation. Now here, I want to talk about thinking before you speak. We say the wrong things about a situation even though we've thought about it because our thinking about it is negative. Right? Now I know, y'all know this story I'm fixing to tell as well as I do, but some of you may not. But I had to be reminded of it myself just this morning as I was finishing up my notes. This fellow was driving out one night out in the country, dark, rainy. He might have been in Haiti, just dark, okay? Cloud, rainy, wind blowing, cold, and he had a flat tire. And he got out to change the flat tire. He got his tire out, but he didn't have a jack. Well, what am I going to do, man? I, I'm out here. I don't have a flashlight or nothing, and I don't have a jack. What am I going to do? Nobody ever travels this road but me. He remembered he had a friend that lived about a mile down the road. So he started out walking, and as he was walking, he began to think, well, you know, he may not even be at home. What am I going to do? Oh, he's at home. He never goes out on a night like this. And he went a little bit further, and he said, you know, he may be in bed. Well, maybe it's just his wife at home, and he, I don't know if I need to do this or not. And he, and he may be in bed. I see, He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just tell him, hey, look, buddy, I need to borrow your jack, and I want to give you $5 for letting me borrow your jack. That'll, that'll work. That'll take care of everything. And he what I said, why, if he's my friend, should I have to pay him to borrow his jack? I'm not going to do that. I, some friend he is. And when he got down there and knocked on the door, the fellow came to the door and said, what do you want? He said, here's $5 and keep the old jack. Now, now, we laugh, but we do the same kind of thing, don't we? Boy, I'm, I'm going to get them told. If, for what they said and what they did, you, I'll have a chance one of these days, and I'm going to get up in their face, and I'm going to get them told. You don't need to do that kind of thinking before you talk. That's coming from a heart that's not right when you do that. 
You say, well, Pat said we're not to be run over. Yeah, we're not to be. But you can stand on the Word of God, and God will take care of you in situations, folks. We don't have to rise up with fists or words that will tear somebody down or defeat somebody. I, you know, I've, I've been guilty of this. I would, if I ever see them again, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. And I found out I couldn't do that but about twice, and then I didn't have any mind left. <laughs> well, all I got is right side and left side, isn't it? One time I give them the right side, the other side and left side, I'm out of a bind. But we do that. We sit around, we meditate. And get. Come on now. Y'all don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. One of these days, yeah, I'll get my chance. I'll get I preachers. I used to hear preachers say, boy, I'm going to get them told Sunday. I'm going to get them told to get up in the church and they just rake people over and rake them over and rake them over. You see them the next week. say, boy, I got them told Sunday. You should have been there. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. I don't like getting nobody told. I'm going to tell you why I don't like getting nobody told, because I've been told before. But I have been guilty of sitting around thinking of neg- in negative situations what I'm going to do, how I'm going to act, and what I'm going to say. And folks, there's no life in that. None whatsoever. So I, I begin to do this. I try to, knowing a situation's coming, I begin to pray and ask God, God, what can I say in this situation that'll help this thing? That'll, that'll cause this thing to be smooth. And there may be things we have to deal with and things that you'll have to deal with, but you can do it in a positive way. And I'll, I'll come back to that in just a minute. There's two places we think with. Did you know that? Did you know that we have two areas of thinking? We think with our mind and we think with our heart. I mean, think with your heart, yeah. I want to I read you some scriptures. I didn't have Bo to put these up. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he thinketh in his heart. Yeah, but that means mine. Well, follow me here for a minute. Luke 2, 19, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them or thought about them in her heart. Luke 2, 35. This is uh, the, the prophet prophesying in the temple. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The thoughts of hearts. Luke 9, 47. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him. Talked about how we had to become as a little child. Matthew 9, 4, And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witnesses, and blasphemies. And then one that everybody knows is uh, Hebrews 4, 12. For the Word of God, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and listen to this, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, this physical thing that we've got going on in us right now, pumping blood, I don't know that it thinks. When he talks about the heart, he's talking about the spiritual part of man. He's talking about really the real me in here. That part of me that I mentioned earlier, that whenever I got born again, Jesus gave me a new one. I mean, a heart transplant. He said, I'll put in them a heart of flesh, no longer a heart of stone. They said, I'll take that heart of stone out. I'll put in them a heart of flesh, and on that heart of flesh, I'll write my law. And it'll be on their heart and on their mind. Wow. 
Medical science is getting a hold of this a little bit. I was reading this article the other day out of a medical magazine, and it, 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 well, I read it online. I didn't have the magazine. You know how that goes. You read all your stuff online anymore just about, don't you? And it talked about how the doctors had given uh, cases of where that people received heart transplants, and, and some of the things that happened to the person that had that heart began to take place in their life. Like one man, a 59-year-old man that never listened to nothing but classical music, and when he had a heart transplant, it came from a 17-year-old boy, and all of a sudden he found himself having a love for rock and roll music. Boy, that'd be a nightmare, wouldn't it? <laughs> now, these are documented cases. You can go online and find them. Another one, a man received a heart transplant from a woman that had been killed by a train. And later on, he began to have reoccurring nightmares of train wrecks. One young boy received the heart of a, of a middle-aged man, and when he woke up, the first thing that he said to his mother said, uh, everything just copacetic. I mean, this little boy, everything just copacetic. And they'd done some research, the doctors got a hold of this, and, and done some research and found out that the man that had died, when he and his wife would have an argument in their making up, they would just say, everything just copacetic. That's weird. Well, think about it. One other, a young girl received a heart transplant from another young girl that had been brutally murdered and later on began to have nightmares to a thought of the, of the murder that took place, described it so vividly to authorities and described the person that killed the young girl until, the, until they were able to apprehend that person and bring a conviction against them. You say, man, I don't know about else's organs. <laughs> now, now listen, what, it, what it's telling us is this. That there's, there's a function, just like the function of our natural heart is to pump blood in this body, the purpose of our spiritual heart, the center of our spiritual life, is to help us produce good thoughts to our mind so that our words come out right. And see, the Bible says that, that I'm given a new heart, but I'm to renew my mind. Romans chapter 12 said that we are to... That we are to Prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect to God by the renewing of our mind, which is God's will. Renewing of our mind. So what we need to learn to do is to let our converted, renewed heart tell our renewing mind what we need to say. And the way that we do that is to fill our heart with the life source that our heart needs, which is the Word of God. And then we can ponder over it. See, when you take time then you're giving your heart opportunity to put the right words in your mind to speak out of your mouth. How many times have you ever said to somebody, well, just off the top of my mind, what would you rather do, give somebody a, a, a remark or answer off the top of your mind or out of the bottom of your heart? So when we stop and ponder, we can do that. The next thing that we need to learn to do is to pray. Pray. Folks, if we could pray, over things that we have to say, how much difference it would make. In Isaiah chapter 6, this is, I'm going to go back to Brother Strength. I, I, I told him I was going to call him brother today instead of coach, but he's still coach and he's still brother. Brother coach. I, I call his wife's sister coach a lot of times. Miss coach is what I call her. Anyway, I thank God for these two people and what they stand for. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. 
and his train filled the temple. Now, I, I, if I had about three days to preach on Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, I could, but I don't, so just bear with me here. And above it stood the seraphims. The seraphims is another word for angels, and it means plural. There's more than one of them. So actually there was a bunch of seraphs there, is what the original language says. And each one, each one of the seraphs had six wings. With two, he did cover his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the doors moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, before we read on, I want you to notice. The first thing Isaiah did when he saw the glorified Lord, God in his majesty, being ministered to by the angels, the first thing that came to him was, i got a terrible mouth. Because listen to what he said. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King of hosts, and uh, King, the Lord of hosts, and one of the ancient seraphims flew unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with his tongue from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying unto me, Who shall I send, and who shall go for? Then said I, Here am I, send me. He realized that he was a man of unclean lips, that he, he had trouble bridling his tongue. But you know what I see in this, and I, I, I may be altogether wrong, I'm not trying to date set nothing, but Uzziah was a good king up to a point, and Isaiah was his prophet, and they were good friends. And here he is in the temple in a time of mourning almost, and as he was, God appeared to him. Just came on the scene and appeared to him. I, I picture it being in the morning time. And here he goes into the temple to pray, and he sees the Lord, and early in the morning, he says, Lord, i got a problem with my mouth, and I need you to help me. Do you catch what or where I'm getting to? Why don't you and I, instead of waiting till the situation happens, pray, get up in the mornings and part of our morning prayers, God, I submit my mouth and tongue and words to you. Help me today, bridle my tongue. Help me today say the words that I need to say. Help me say words of life, not words of death. Words of love, not words of hate. Uh, uh, Words of peace, not words of strife. Help me, Lord, to do this. And I'll go for you, Lord, and do whatever you want me to do. I, I picture that. Why don't we learn Psalms 19:14 that says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart ever be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let these things, Father, let, them, let, let this be the main thing in me. You know, I, is this morning as I was getting ready, I, I constantly think about what I'm going to preach about. I'm constantly meditating on it. And this morning, for the first time, I, I, I saw something that the Lord spoke this to me, and it started many, many years ago when the Lord spoke this to me. But then I saw something about it this morning too. When I pastored North Carolina, this was back in the 80s, and I'd received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And... and uh, I was sitting out, we were building a walkway there at the church, and I ain't got time to explain all of that to you, what we were at the church. And, but I was sitting out there painting, 
I'd worked a third shift job, got off of work, and came to the church and was sitting there painting. And it just so happened that particular Sunday I was going to preach about the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm meditating on the fruit of the Spirit, and the Lord spoke to me and said, Every one of my children need to understand that the fruit of the Spirit is there. But my children that are filled with my Spirit are responsible for the fruit of the Spirit to work in their life. Whoa. Whoa. This morning I saw how that, that if I will let the fruit of the Spirit operate in my life, it'll bridle my tongue. This, Joe, uh, Bo, whoever you are back there. <laughs> in Galatians chapter 5, I, I want to take just a few minutes here. I, I, and I mean just a few. Y'all know that whenever I tell you that, a few minutes is all it takes. Six minutes. Six minutes. Okay. I need to get me one of those programs like Brother Shrank's got on his little iPhone there so I can put it here and not look at it. <laughs> Somebody time me if you want. Six minutes, time me from right now. Everybody say go. But the fruit of the Spirit, now listen to this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Think about that in relation to words. If I'm allowing the fruit of the Spirit to work in my life, my words are going to be words of love. Yeah, but I've got to tell the truth. The Bible tells us back over in Ephesians or over in Ephesians to speak the truth in love. I may have to speak the truth to someone and say, Hey, brother, that's not something you need to be doing and, or this is the way you need to be going. But I've got to do that in love for it to be of any effect whatsoever. Love, joy, words of joy. I love to spread joy. I, we went to, went to a wedding yesterday over in Memphis with Tim's uh, daughter, Tim and Jane's daughter. Got married yesterday. Married this old boy from over in Tennessee. Y'all pray for her real hard. But, but anyway, they, the, his daughter Elizabeth didn't know we were coming. They had mentioned the possibility that we might. And they said, oh, good. Said, I like Uncle David. He's always full of fun. Joy. I love to spread joy, don't you? But how much joy can you spread always being negative? Can I tell you this? None. And unless you're talking to somebody else that wants to be negative, and they'll get all excited because you're negative too. Love, joy, peace. Words of peace. Words of peace. We are instruments of peace, and we should we, we speak words of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. And all way you can make peace is with words, so we, we speak words of peace. Long-suffering. That means putting up with people. Speaking words that would encourage instead of tear down. Long-suffering. Gentleness. Gentle words. Gentle words. I, I, and, all, and all of these things I think about my wife and how gentle and easy she is most of the time. <laughs> words of goodness. Goodness. Building people up. Words of faith. Speaking faith, speaking positive things, 
into people's lives. Husbands need to speak faith into their wives. Husband, wives need to speak faith into their husbands. Instead of, instead of looking at your wife and saying, why don't you ever do this? Just look at her and say, you know what? You're the best wife. You are the best wife. And I know that you're coming to the point to where these things work in your life. You see the difference? Speak faith to them. Speak faith over them. In situa- over your children. You need to speak faith to your children. They're not going to hear it anywhere else. Any of you children in school know you don't get a whole lot of, of, oh, you're just so great, you're wonderful, you can do this, you can come on, and, and especially from your classmates. So, so parents, speak faith over your children. Faith, speaking faith over them is speaking over them what you would love to see accomplished in their life. Meekness. You don't have to yell at somebody to get your point across. Neither do you have to mealy mouth. You can speak. It goes back to love. Speak the truth in love. And then here's one temperance. You know what temperance is, don't you? It's moderation. That goes back to one of those other things we talked about, talking too much. Moderation. Do you know the world is still going to go around and the sun is going to come up in the east and it's going to set in the west if you don't say much during the day? Your words is not what propels this earth to spin. You know. Against such there's no law. On the bridle of the tongue. Got three minutes left, haven't you? How many? Two minutes. Okay. Two minutes. Official timekeeper over here. Two minutes. Many times our words grow, plant the seeds and grow a tree of bitterness that produces bitter fruit. We need to learn to cut those down. We want to bridle our tongue, we need to cut them down. See, if we have, here's, and, and it comes about through forgiveness. John came preaching, he preached repentance, the kingdom of heaven's hand, talked about Jesus coming. And he said this, the axe is laid to the trees. I laid to the trees. Taught that being, caught it as being plural. But he said the axe is already laid to the trees. And folks, I'm here to say, say to us this morning that chances are in relation to our words and our mouth, there's some trees that need to be cut down. This bitterness tree. And the way you get rid of that is through forgiveness. If you've spoken hurtful, death-filled words to someone, you need to go to them and ask them to forgive you. Gets real quiet, so Tim, when you say something like this, you know, real quiet. You need to speak. You need to go to someone, whether it's your husband, wife, your neighbor, your brother, your sister, your children, or whoever, and cut down that tree of bitterness so to quit producing bitter fruit, or you're never going to be able to bridle your tongue. And here's another thing you need to be willing to forgive. What if they don't ask me? He's never one time said in this book when they ask you, forgive them. He said when you find out someone's done something, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. And if they never ask you, they're still forgiven as far as you're concerned. And if they ask you, and and don't go to anybody this way in my 30 seconds left. Don't go to somebody this way and say, well, I need to ask you to forgive me. 
and then stop, thinking it's okay. If you need to ask somebody to forgive you, then ask them to forgive you. If you need to forgive somebody, don't leave it sitting there. Forgive somebody. You see what I'm saying? That'd be just like you need to go grocery shopping to buy groceries. You can say that till you starve to death. Right? Y'all stand with me, please.